Now, I don't know if any of y'all watched the, have seen the TV comedy. There are not many TV shows I actually watch. I mean, I actually watch in the first place. And two, I've watched the whole thing. Um, this is one, um, one of the rare ones for me that I watched from the beginning all the way to the end and really enjoyed it and appreciated uh, The Good Place. Uh, it's a comedy, fascinating comedy about ethics. Um, <laughs> really kind of this bizarre twist on, on particularly Western ethics, the whole history of Western ethics through the lens of this, of this um, strange lens of a sort of kindergarten version of an afterlife that is based on a tally system. Every deed in your life is automatically scored as good or bad um, for you or against you. And your final score at the moment of your death um, determines whether you go to the good place or the bad place um, for uh, supposed eternity. I'm just going to give one slight spoiler. If you haven't seen the series, this, this won't, won't be too much of one. In the final season, kind of to me like the beauty of the final season is this one profound insight that um, this system, which according to the scorekeepers used to work, <laughs> used to used to work just fine. I, I, I would take um, um, problems with that too, but um, now has fallen apart in the painful entangled complexity of modern life. And in the modern world, it has become impossible, no matter how hard someone tries for them to end up in the good place based on um, um, these decisions, because every decision we're making has so many negative effects downstream. As we're so entangled in a messed up complexity in the world. And there's a tremendous amount of truth in that. You know, I was standing at the grocery store the other day, pondering the question, was it less toxic to pick the organic vegan butter in the plastic tub or the non-organic vegan butter in the paper box? And you know, darned if I know, I have no idea. Um, um, so in this context where I don't even know which butter to buy, <laughs> bring up this idea of right livelihood. And remember that word right, it's about um, a balance making, it's not about a perfection and a correct right choice. It's about finding that attunement that is in the most balanced um, with reality and aligned with compassion and wisdom. So white, right or wise livelihood in this context, oh my gosh, it's really hard. Of all of the eightfold path um, factors, this is the one the Buddha talked about the least. Probably, you know, the general assumption is that because in the Buddhist day, this was fairly straightforward. <laughs> 
the most commonly quoted sutta um, um, points to just five types of businesses his followers shouldn't participate in. Weapons, human beings, meat, poison, and intoxicants. Other places um, name the need to be honest and ethical in how we conduct business. And it's very clear that the Buddha never demeans the path of the, of the householder, which is what we all are. Um, are. Not people that have become monks, um, but, but maintaining life in that stream of householder. Never demeans that, never demeans the desire to provide well for family. He actually names householder as an authentic spiritual path when practiced within certain ethical principles. So now the ethics are much more tangled, hard, complicated to sort out. And his list of professions uh, is clearly way too simplistic. If you take any profession now, you can probably trace it back to problems somewhere. I tried to think of like, what's the most innocuous profession I could come up with? I came up with school teacher, you know, somebody who's like, like putting their heart into taking care of our kids. Yeah, there are toxic plastics throughout our classrooms. There's paper waste from cutting down trees that are contributing to global warming. Not to mention lawmakers in some places are starting to encourage teachers to go to school armed against their students. And, you know, I'm not even beginning to talk about the chokehold that's starting on what can even be taught in many classrooms or asbestos that still exists in some of the buildings. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a complicated, it's a complicated world, whatever you pick. For me, when I used to be a physician, the ethical complications, the complexities of practicing medicine were really uncomfortably clear to me. I'm just going to name one place. My interest in animal rights has gone all the way back to a young child the first time I learned what veal was baby cow. <laughs> that was stunning to me that people ate that. Um, and, and kind of a lifelong interest has, has, was, was really birthed in that moment. So by the time I became a prescribing physician and had been vegetarian for many, many years by then, um, I was a member of a, and still am a member of Physicians for Responsible Medicine, which among other things works to end animal testing. I couldn't prescribe medicines without knowing that I was participating in an industry that also was causing tremendous pain and suffering. So, of course, all of these upstream and downstream problems of our choices affect not just our work, but really all aspects of our life. I there's a, a Buddhist teacher writer name of Lewis Richards who wrote a great article in the Huffington Post. I put it in the, the link for the community email 
so if you're not on that email group and you want to get a weekly email with a little bit about what we're doing um, in the organization and talking about in the community groups, um, just send me an email. But I put a link to this article in there. I thought it was a lovely article. So he says, if we have a quote-unquote good job, like, you know, you think you, you think you pulled it off and having a good job. Um, um, my hope is mindfulness teacher, hopefully, like, fits into that category. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't solve the issue by any means. So he says, if we have a good job and yet refuse to think about where our food comes from, where plastic goes, why gas is so cheap, and so on, our spiritual practice will be undertaken with eyes wide shut. So right livelihood, no easy answers here. And that doesn't mean we give up. There is a moral complexity that's important that we wrestle with, with far more intentionality. And we do this with a clear understanding, clear intention to do our best while knowing it will never be perfect. We won't find the perfect answers. Another article I read was by Krishnan Venkatesh uh, in a tricycle article on right livelihood. He says it this way. We might resign ourselves to the fact that any profession we choose will be a messy mixture of good and bad consequences. But we can still make a daily effort to maximize the good, minimize the bad. Indeed, nearly every job gives daily opportunities to help people and improve the world in some way. The effort to understand the antecedents and consequences of our work is also a mindfulness practice in a system that would prefer us to function on autopilot. That's a helpful sentence. Understanding the upstream effects and the downstream effects of all of our decisions. That is a mindfulness practice in a system that wants us not to see. To a thoughtful person, this effort also creates a constant tension with our work. We cannot hurl ourselves into our jobs with unquestioning ardor. Naming this constant tension is helpful. We're not ever going to get away from it. So giving up the perfection and learning to work as best as we can with the reality of the tension. That's the practice. His translation of the poly term for right um, livelihood is something more like livelihood fully understood and rightly conducted with all of its tensions. I like that. So there's a really powerful, useful, practical practice right here in finding a wise, sane, compassionate way of living with the reality of this tension.
One example of this for in my own life, when I first truly, truly became aware, like really understood the coming effects of climate change, that for me was probably about 25 years ago. And my first response was to virtually become paralyzed by a problem being so overwhelming and me unconscious to the fact that I was being driven by some hidden belief that I personally had to fix it. You know, like I, I personally had to come up with the solution. I had no idea I was carrying that until finally I had to sit with the level of fear and paralysis in my life that was non-functional and, and like use my mindfulness to like untangle it, find out what was going on in there. And suddenly it dawned on me, you know, this just crazy agenda of the ego to fix climate change in the world. And, and you know, it just had never dawned on me that I had this personal mandate in that way. And it was such a relief to see the lunacy of it and to be able to unhook from that and come back. This put my actions and my contemplations back in their right place, being in response to an issue that a right alignment with the issue is possible for me. To come up with actions and cares in a way that, that I can do in my life, that's appropriate. To try to think I'm going to fix the world, you know, it's just the ego gone, 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 gone bizarre. Not very helpful. So that was very helpful with that. But then I had to also learn how to balance my choices with my personal actions. So veganism was something I cared about for a long, long, long time because I understood the relationship between veganism and climate change. So when I first became vegan, I don't remember how long ago this was. There's, there's a lot happening here. When I first became vegan about 10 years ago, sometime I don't remember. Oh my gosh, I was, I was militant about it. I was like really hardcore and I drove myself crazy. I drove my family crazy. I drove you know, my friends crazy. And again, I sent myself towards that place of paralysis with trying to do something with such perfection that it wasn't doable. It wasn't, it wasn't livable. So there's that alignment that we have to find internally for, you know, what is within our realm that we can do. And how do we do that in a balanced, wise, compassionate way? So really knowing that these intentions are an inevitable part of reality, of our life. This helps us find a way to engage with the overwhelming problems of the world without becoming overwhelmed. This is how we practice learning to engage deeply with questions without driving ourselves crazy with trying to be perfect. So how do you hold this understanding of wisdom and compassion enacted in life?
in a balanced, hopeful way. So let's just pause for a moment here. 